Hi, welcome to Infinite Leaders Live. My name is Louis Keynes and our why is simple, to be better educators and to be better humans. We want to support and encourage infinite learning for everybody regardless of their role or rank, to be willing to listen and learn and get better. I'm joined as usual by my pal Alan Dunstan. Thank you, Lewis, and, and really looking forward to diving deeper into understanding how our leaders with infinite mindsets translate this across to their teams. We want to focus on the things you don't get taught at university or on any inset courses, real-life lessons from real-life people with real-life experience. And we're learning, as usual, and recording live as well, so there'll be a few mistakes, I'm sure. As ever, we want your feedback. We practice what we preach. Where we're doing well, please tell us where you think we can improve. We'd love to know that so we can invest that time and make what we're doing better to access it for more people. Um, you can find us on Instagram. You can find us on YouTube. And you can also find us on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, you'll find Alan and I on Twitter as well. And please visit theinfinitelearners.com for more information from us and, and about us. So listen, learn, and share with your colleagues and friends. Alan, let's dive in. Yeah, get your pens and papers ready, guys. There's going to be some absolute gems of wisdom today. And a little pun there. We've got Gemma Chambers, who's an experienced... Hey, you've been waiting for that one. You've been waiting for that one. Okay. She's previously worked at Hong Kong Academy, and she's currently teaching at the, the very innovative Green School in New Zealand. She's passionate about education in all forms, living a sustainable and active life and sharing that with the people she works with. So welcome, Gemma. And uh, Thank you. can you tell us a, a little bit about your journey getting to that green school? Yeah, so it was a very interesting journey and um, I'm very grateful that it happened at the time that it did. Um, I have had a, a wonderful upbringing in Hong Kong. I was very lucky to move there in the late 80s and um, lived a kind of very full and joyful expat life and um, was teaching in Hong Kong. And really my experience of life in Hong Kong from having been in that really consumeristic uh, expat lifestyle, flying around the world many times a year, you know, experiencing wonderful things, but at a quite high cost to the environment and also just in terms of materialism, I, I'd sort of changed how I felt and how I wanted to participate in the world and how I wanted to be a consumer. So we'd been on quite a journey as a family at home, trying to change the ways that we impacted the environment through our purchases, through um, the work that my husband does, um, uh, through um, a circular economy type business. And um, I started researching how I could bring that into my own uh, teaching. So we were doing quite a lot of work at Hong Kong Academy in terms of um, greening and sustainability, but I kind of wanted to look at sustainability as more than just environmental. I believe that, that sustainability speaks to nature, economy, society, and well-being. And so I looked at the Bali Green School, um, which was uh, obviously it's a very well-established green school, and had an opportunity to meet with the board there and almost took a job there. And then just as they offered me the job, I got a phone call saying, you know, I'm not sure if you've heard, but we're going to open one in New Zealand and the founders would love to speak to you. So I got to talk to the founders down here who had just about purchased 121 acres of land and had done structural designs with um, amazing architects and engineers, but there was no, no school here yet. And we decided to take the leap and we brought um, our two boys who are nine and 11 um, down here in January. And we hit the ground at sort of the perfect timing really. 
um, in terms of New Zealand feeling like a pretty amazing place to have spent this part of 2020. Yeah, I mean, it's it, obviously COVID's come in and it's affected the world in, in numerous ways. How, how, have you, how have you dealt with that in New Zealand and, and in particular at the Green School? Um, so we'd only lived here seven weeks when they shut us down. Um, as you know, we'd lived here nine weeks and we'd been teaching about seven weeks. And so we had literally just started establishing norms. Um, we'd, we're working in these um, phenomenal classrooms, but they're very unusual. They're non-traditional. We spend 60 to 70% of our time outdoors, especially with the younger age groups. We're doing uh, journeying on and off campus constantly. And so when uh, campus closed and we knew that we wanted to provide really good remote learning, the challenge for us really was, well, how do you green school that? How do you make online learning or remote learning even vaguely outdoorsy or green school without putting tremendous amounts of pressure on parents who are already under a lot of pressure to have their children at home? So that was a, a really big challenge. And I think uh, there are only 10 of us, only 10 staff currently. And I think everybody just pulled together and, and pulled on their personal strengths. And um, I did a lot of very quick tech upskilling um, to kind of get us to a place where we could provide what we felt was a balance of um, good, suggestive, experiential learning via, um, uh, via videos, via Zoom, through um, pre-recorded and also both asynchronous and um, non-synchronous as well. And then when we went back to school, um, again, just kind of that very inward at the moment, that sort of pivot, we had to pivot again because we only had 50% of our students came back. So we were doing remote learning and at school learning. Um, so finally, when everybody came back, it was just like a massive celebration that we were sort of able to go, okay, let's, where were we? Did we, what did we even start? Let's start again. <laughs> so, um, it's been great. It's been a real challenge uh, to have a startup of any kind uh, in this year is, is very um, rocky and stressful. And for the founders, for our budget, um, the uh, sort of fee structure and, and the income structure for the school, because it, it is a private school, is that it would have 50% international students. So at the moment, of course, we can't take any of those students. And we have 40 students currently registered who were supposed to arrive between now and December. And they, we just don't know if they can come. So a lot of stress for our um, financial side, which meant lots of changes. And I think that the outcome that has been best for me and for my colleagues and the students is the slowdown. I think we've really looked at slowing down it's very easy to race in the startup of a school and to think more better faster harder let's do it let's do it it's great more ideas more ideas and actually what we're learning through having our kids outside is that the slower the more time we give them in the space the more we experience their understanding of what we're teaching them and it's been really fascinating to have allowed COVID to teach me that and, and I think um, teach us as creators of this new curriculum um, that being slow is okay. Gemma, tell us a little bit more of what that curriculum looks like. What would a typical day be for a teacher in the green school? I think for most of us, it's very far removed from what we're used to and it'd be really interesting to, to dive into that a bit more. 
Sure. So um, the way that we've set up the curriculum is that our, our school um, value is to thrive with purpose. So that is the base of everything that we're doing. And we're looking at um, if we are going to be at our happiness, we must be purposeful. So to thrive with purpose. And within that, we look at all of our um, curriculum planning is from the lenses of sustainability, well-being and systems thinking. So as we plan for those things, we're looking at what we call our real compass. So relational uh, relationships, experiences, actions, and then what we call local to global, how we kind of take that uh, in-house learning and put it out um, to the world. And so on a day-to-day, -day, we're covering um, what we call our Koru curriculum, which I'll explain in a minute, uh, voyages, which is kind of our concept-driven, similar to the IB in terms of units of study or a thematic study out of the, out of the UK. Um, we have our proficiencies, which covers numeracy, literacy, and um, all the other sort of uh, subject-based um, learning. And then we have hikoi, which means to wonder. It's kind of like walkabout. In Bali, they call it jalan jalan, which also means like walking, walking. And that's where we're encouraging um, through very structured experiences for our younger students, all the way up to highly um, self-directed and self-driven experiences for the, for the older children. So a day at school um, will include kind of, for us, uh, similar to most schools, we have got numeracy and literacy every day in the classroom. We spend time looking at uh, the voyages through dis uh, transdisciplinary um, kind of uh, models there. And then we also, and my favorite part, um, is really this Koru curriculum. And the Koru curriculum looks at well-being. And for me, the well-being of our students kind of underpins everything that we're doing. And it's been absolutely amazing to have an opportunity to not just say as an educator, yeah, well-being is important, but to have an opportunity to intentionally build that into our timetable daily. And so between 30 and 60 minutes of every day is spent looking at what we call our Koru curriculum. And the Koru is the name for New Zealand fern. So we have that lovely all blacks fern, the silver fern, and it kind of unfurls. And it's, it's the idea that it is both protective and safe but also unfurling and always growing new life and um, looking at the ways that we can use a strong curriculum around um, well-being to have children be joyful and we're, when children are joyful and engaged they we know they learn better so yeah that's roughly wow. it so what what makes what you've said there what makes the green school so different to a regular school certainly maybe the, the previous school that you worked at in Hong Kong I think um, whilst the values of schools I've worked in the past are similar, we want well-rounded, kind, uh, skilled people to come out of education. I think the biggest piece that we're taking away is the idea of kind of intentional structured summative assessment or examinations. So really, um, we are looking at, although we will have the opportunity for students who wish to participate in an uh, maybe an exam-based curriculum such as SATs or the NCA, we, we are really looking at creating a very strong diploma which supports the skills that we want young people, or we feel that young people should be going out into the world with without necessarily having to write that down in an exam or show that through coursework. So we're looking at creating opportunities um, for the students to leave with a number of skills 
that might be a little bit different. Like for example, every child leaving with their own functional business um, at the end of their school, um, school time. But the most important thing is that they will be leaving with a set of skills, including um, public speaking, um, business planning, structuring events, all these opportunities that they will have leaving the school, which are kind of different to, it's great, you've done lots of inquiry through your primary school, it's all really great stuff. Now you'll just sit down and cram as much knowledge in as you possibly can so that you can output that in two years. And I think looking at the universities, um, I think we spoke about this before, you know, Harvard University is now saying that they are accepting students without um, GPA schools or SAT schools. There are um, universities all around the world that are starting to recognize that the skill sets that people have are much, much more than what we can write down on a piece of paper or, or type into a computer at the end of 13 years of schooling. I love that idea of being creative and giving children the chance to build on values and transferable skills. But I, I can imagine that there, there might be school leaders around the world that would be having a, a mini panic attack at the fact that there are no outcomes. And how do these children then move on into good jobs that require qualifications? How do they move into those? And what's the process there? Because I imagine that's going to take quite a long time for that kind of approach and that kind of opinion from those big institutions to change. Yeah. So I think um, certain things that we're doing, certainly in the primary school, is being very intentional around skills. So we have our green school skills. Um, we also have our I respect values. And they, the children will build up their skill base um, through the, the time period that they're at school. And so by having a really intentional skill-based curriculum where we value proficiencies very highly, we I think one of the images that comes from schools like Green School and similar schools around the world is that it's fluffy and that it's lovely and they read and write can they you know are they going to be able to you know, if you do want to be a vet is that is that a possibility for you and I think what it is mostly about is is looking at the individual and and through a joyful learning experience in the primary school then building on opportunities to show your learning in your own way so whether that's through portfolios whether that's through practice interviews whether that's through TED talks or what we call our greenstone experiences which are sort of uh, culminating projects um, that you take with you you will have had a lot of practice I think a lot of us go to university or leave university and we've never we've never even practiced an interview we, we've never sat in a boardroom we've never met with people who work um in in any kind of um business environments and so i think giving our children opportunities to work alongside um real functioning businesses and um, also encouraging them to follow passions is really really important so on top of that we will also be looking at supporting it with what's called the NCEA here in New Zealand. So there is a really strong, um, I think it's similar to the A-levels, um, but there is really strong strands of that that we will um, allow the children, have the opportunity to get credits there as well. So it is, there is opportunities that as we're in this kind of weird window where universities are just starting to change, the world is just starting to see it a bit differently, we do have to be mindful that we, we make sure we give the students structure and stability if that's, if that's what they need. So there is the option for children to, to go in and have some examination-based stuff if that's the kind of route they want to go down that's more traditional, a little bit more formal and academic. How, how does the well-being stuff fit into this? 60 minutes a day, 
for me personally, it sounds like a dream to focus on well-being within schools. I'm a huge advocate for it, but why, why is that important and, and what do you do in that time? Um, so I best speak to the, to the primary school. Um, so we have what we call our koru ritual. And what I've done is looked at the, um, the Te Reo Māori curriculum here. It talks about these four walls of well-being. So we have Te Whare Tapafa, which excuse my, my Te Reo because I'm just learning. But we look at four, four walls of well-being and we're looking at our physical well-being, social well-being, which is family, social life, um, our community, our culture, mental and emotional well-being, and um, also our, what have I not said, physical, social, social, emotional and spiritual, spiritual well-being. And I think, you know, as adults now, we recognize more and more that we, we may go into the world with academic strengths, we may go into the world with business sense. But, you know, the amount of people who are living with mental health issues and both either undiagnosed or diagnosed mental health issues because we haven't learned how to look after ourselves and we're not taught enough how to take care of ourselves. So what we try to do is intentionally look at either strategies through games, through stories, through experiences that we're learning about ourselves and we're learning to name what wall we're strengthening. So if I'm talking about... Uh, say social um a, a social thing we might be talking about friendships in year one and what's a good what makes a good friend how do i do this and it's just that intentional learning we also might be talking about health healthy eating about physical activity and the importance of of that for us and i and i think you know building that daily intentionally is is very very um important the other way that we do it is looking outwardly to our communities and thinking about what are the strengths of the well-being of our community and how can we contribute to that? So the older students are very much looking outwardly into ways through the kind of relation to that the idea of the real experiences, making relationships, having experiences, taking action and then sharing that action to the larger world is, is how we will learn to be better people and happier people and um, healthier people at the end of school. And, and we, you know, we, we put so much value on teaching things like really, really important to know fractions. And why do we know fractions? So we can eat birthday cake and share it with people. You know, we, we put value on um, all things geological and historical, but we don't often put value on our own um, well-being. And I think that's what the school is saying is that we do value that equal to your academic learning. Yeah, love that, love that, Gemma. Absolutely superb. I'm just want to think about your own well-being there. How how good is it that you are working in a school that reflects your own core values? You know, it's a journey. It's a startup. I'm I'm so tired. I need my holiday next Friday. You know, it's. I think you've given a, a massive gift uh, to co-construct and work with other people who've been kind of cherry pick from around the world and these amazing educators that we're working with but you know full disclosure we're, we're working really hard and we, we keep having to say you know here we are teaching well-being and 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 also still being really mindful of holding on to that for ourselves and as I said before that kind of slowing down and just you know what yeah my my reading workshop program is not as good as I would have loved it to be yet but I was only here for seven weeks. We locked down for seven weeks and here we are again. So I think acknowledging that we need to model it and continue to model it yeah. is really important. And the other, the other part is the green stuff. It's so cool to be in a school where 
um, we have these amazing builders on site and you sort of say, oh, I'm thinking we could do some sort of upcycling project with this. And they're just so creative and um, it's great to work in a, in a place where, yeah, the environment does matter and it's been purpose built to um, allow us to experience nature in a very pure, pure way. Yeah, it's brilliant. I feel very, very um, privileged to be here. Are there personal anxieties there, Gemma, of, of obviously this school, you sound very passionate about it. You, you clearly enjoy what you're doing there. And, and it's a real opportunity for you to put a lot of the, the things that you stand for in practice by the sounds of it. But as a teacher that's been in more traditional schools, do you have personal anxieties about what actually this looks like for a child that's taking the journey through? And, and how as a teacher you gauge whether they're making progress and how how you track them and, and how you consider whether you're on the yeah. right lines. <laughs> yeah, massively. I think that's um, a huge thing. I, my own boys are at the school, so we've taken a big risk in saying, right, are we, we're going to go through with this and, and we're always sort of listening and, and watching and thinking, okay, how is this going to grow? And by the time, so Freddie's 11, so who we're going into the secondary school next year, it's a, it's a big risk that we're taking. Um, I honestly believe that it, it will be kind of okay for them and, and, and we will navigate our way through this and whether we supplement especially for sports for my husband you know it's a new school we don't have the team so we're looking at that sort of rigor and grit is really important to us as, as parents to find ways for our children to have more traditional sporting experiences um, you know it's great that they're learning to go caving and rock climbing and hiking but we're not doing the traditional PE at the moment um, the other part that I'm very conscious of is I am assessing the children formatively all the time. So I'm keeping really, really good data at the moment, probably better than I've ever done before, because I am really like, I need to be able to tell parents, this is where they were, and this is where they are, and this is the growth that we've seen. Um, and yeah, that growth is personal, that growth is not so much compared to others' growth, it's personal um, what's that lovely word, continuums. Um, but I am very mindful of making sure, particularly through our proficiencies, our skills, that we hold on to those, um, that database for our kids so we can make sure that they're progressing and, and learning. And, and another thing is to make sure a lot of our kids are extended. So it's great to have lots of fun, but you know, what are the ways, are we really challenging them? Are we really um, pushing some of these kids to think as deeply as they can um, in all of our, our subjects. So for example, the, the current uh, unit that we're about to start on New Voyage is called um, a net with a handful of holes. And so the whole school will do this voyage and it's about what we think it's about. We're co-constructing it, so we're not entirely sure, but we think it's gonna be about mostly economy and economies of, uh, you know, for our younger children that will look like composting cycles food cycles it will look like um you know making upcycling and making things and visiting trash recycling places um for our older students it will really be investigating um economy in a much more detailed way and you know the economies you know we, we're looking at ideas through period poverty really looking at women's studies and we're looking at um a lot of social experiences to look at linear economies versus circular economies um, both through business models, but also through kind of social enterprise models as well. So it's, it's rich, but we need to be sure that it's rigorous as well. Like how do we challenge our kids to 
um, really be always engaged and, and working hard. So yeah, it, it is full of anxieties, but you know, so is so any schools, I think, you know, you're always thinking, is this, is this it? Is this good enough? It's always, we have, as teachers, you know, we, we have a phrase here. It came from uh, Bali where they say flex, uh, bend like bamboo and here flex like flax. I think educators are the people that have the most professional development other than maybe doctors in the world, in, in any industry. And we're constantly learning, we're constantly changing. And I think being flexible and agile is what I want to model in everything that I'm doing so that the students see like, well, if I'm learning, if I'm stretching myself, then I expect the same, the same from you. Yes, it must be really, really difficult because, uh, you know, traditionally as a teacher, that flexibility is, is a little bit less because there's structured scaffolds and frameworks that you need to stick to. <laughs> yeah. And, and what we're doing is we're trying to, um, I guess, cherry pick might be the word, really look at what, what is best practice globally and, and um, take, take the best. I mean, stuff that I, had, I was doing in Hong Kong Academy, I learned some amazing things. There were some great things. And we're definitely not throwing out the bathwater uh, the baby with the basketball, or whatever we're saying, you know, it's we're trying to take what we know and what we know is really good about education and put it in a different setting and take anxiety out of education. We don't want children to be stressed. We don't, nobody wants to be stressed. And we want, we know that when we are, as humans, are not anxious or, or in a stress, flight, fight, or flight mode, that we learn more. And so, um, what our environment provides is that opportunity. For children to relax, to play with nature, to play with new ideas, and you know that our founders are amazing people, and they will say to us all the time, "Really go for it, really bold, really original. Fail, fail, fail," because that's the way. That's the only way we are going to sit on that very seesaw and that real balancing point of like, "Well, it's risky. We haven't done it before. Let's see if they learn it." And the cool thing is, you can always say, "Hey, okay, that didn't work." Yeah. You know, they've still got another, for me, because I teach the littlest ones, they've still got another like 10 years, <laughs> you know, we'll fix it. But I think being, being willing to fail and again, modeling that uh, to our learners is, is what's really, and our, and our parent community too, being transparent um, and allowing the parents to participate in the co-construction. Sounds learning. like a, a fantastic environment to learn in, yeah. Yeah, Chall lots of challenges. I'm just going to ask about the parents there, Gemma, because when you talk about taking anxiety out of education and having worked in Asia, as we all, we all have done, it's often the parents that create that anxiety through the high expectations of exam results and, uh, and going on and being in certain professions that they want their, child, their children to be. How do you then educate the parents? You, you talked a little bit there about getting them involved, but how do you drive that home to a parent that wants to come in and they're, they're exam driven? For parents that are exam driven, I think a lot of the children that are coming to green schools and to schools that are not mainstream, they are, they're looking for something, they know that there's not a good fit for their child in some way. So we have a lot of children sort of in that kind of twice exceptional range where mainstream schools are just not working for them. And actually, we're not really seeing parents who are exam driven, we're seeing parents who are um, very passionate about their children's education very driven to make sure they give the absolute best to their kids but they're saying that what they're seeing in the mainstream is is too cookie cutter it's too it's 
their child doesn't fit and um, they, they know their kids have abilities, they, they can see that, but they need to be given more um, options, more, more flexibility and more uh, student-led, student-centered opportunities to learn. So I think our parents are coming to us uh, already very open to that. I think one of the biggest challenges then, of course, we go from this, oh, it's wonderful, isn't it? Well, we're all so happy, it's fantastic, everybody's happy. <laughs> They are learning, aren't they? and they are going to be okay. And, and they are—they're still they're good readers, aren't they? And they are going to read, and they are going to do. It. And so, our job is to be rigorous in, as I said before, make sure we can say yes. And the ways that we do that is by making sure that we are goal setting. We use the New Zealand curriculum standards to underpin our learning. We make sure that we're thoroughly planned, um, although it feels a lot of the time like we're winging it and it's really relaxed. Um, there's a lot of really big intentional planning from kind of big concept mapping right down to daily planning. Everyone knows what they're doing. Well, I say that most days. <laughs> most days we know what we're doing. Um, like, and like all of us, like all of us. <laughs> yeah, right. And so, you know, I think we, we're all every day making mistakes and going, yeah, well, we plan to do this massive downpour of rain. So what do we do now? We just, you know, go dance in the rain for a bit until it stops. So I think those parents, um, we've learned already pretty quickly how communicative we need to be. And as educators, we are um, guides and navigators, but, but parents have often just as much to offer. Um, and so we're very open. We have a lot of opportunities for parents to come and, and co-educate with us. And I hope that that will grow more and more. Um, and I think it's wonderful for parents to see day-to-day -day school and be a part of it because I think so much of the time it's drop them off in the bus bay and who knows what happens so lots of communication has been really important and we one thing that we are doing that's really cool you guys will, will like we're doing um every month we're doing a survey uh it's called our flourishing scale and I can't remember the name of the man that started it but about 30 years ago um there was a scientist who looked at happiness and looked at well-being, human well-being, and started creating questions that can measure that. So we're using um, about six or seven questions, and we, we do it every month with the five-year-olds right up to the whole community, parents and teachers, and we're trying to collect data and measure how well and happy and satisfied we feel. Are we flourishing? Are we feeling challenged? Are we feeling uh, valued? And that's really interesting how we, I think that would be really cool to see over the next few years um, how that kind of pans out and, and what we then do with that data. Oh, that's super powerful. I mean, we've tried similar, haven't we, Lewis, at BSM with the with the scaling of, of happiness? Yeah, we, we have. And one of the things I, I've written down there was that you do that every 30 days. We, we tried a model of, of once a term that obviously has got disrupted towards the end of this year. But along the same lines from Seligman's work and, and also that not just his on the PERMA survey, but the authentic happiness stuff as well. And, and trying mm -hmm. to create almost our own that, that encapsulates what BSM was about and, and, the, and the well-being framework that we have. It's really interesting to, to hear some of the, the parallels mm -hmm. of that. What, what's been the biggest challenge for you as a, as a leader, Gemma, going into a new role in, in a school that is so very different? Um, I think certainly um, I found it really challenging being an outsider this is a first for me you know Hong Kong is my home I was very very confident there 
and very lucky to work in big international schools. I, I worked at the ESF um, English Schools Foundation for a long time as well. And I just was really in my comfort zone and I'm way out of it here. And I don't know the New Zealand curriculum. I, I don't know it very well yet. We're learning. And I think just trying to take what's, what I know internationally is best practice and come in and share that in a way that is positive and not patronizing and also valuing um, some really great stuff that's going on here. Because one of the things that we, we will struggle with a little bit is to, we don't want to be seen as the, you know, the castle on the hill. Um, here we are in Taranaki, which is a real, is real hard, rough, rugged farm country. Um, and people have a, a perception of a big, fancy eco private school. So breaking through those barriers and saying, look, absolutely, we're not saying what you have is not good enough. We're saying this is just, it's just a different way. And, and pulling from the strengths of the curriculums they have here, like their early childhood curriculum here is really strong and it's world renowned for being fantastic. So I'm trying to take as much of that and as many experiences I can to connect with local schools to bring that into our school and not say, again, not saying that we're throwing it all out and we're doing something new. We all come to the school with really, really great experiences and knowledge, but that's been challenging for me to figure out. Um, I'm one of those people. I, I do care what people think, and I, and I want to be liked. And you know, not supposed to do that as a leader, but you do. And I think trying to come in and not be uh, pushing an international agenda. However, we are an international school, and we need to be seen to be striving as one of the best international schools in the world. That's, that's difficult. Yeah, Gemma there, what strategies do you have for, for dealing with that feeling of being out of your comfort zone? Um, that's a great question. I think um, Andrew and I have always been kind of people that have, we push each other and we support each other and we try to, you know, always say like, let's just do it. We're just going to do it. We're just going to turn up. So touch, turning up for touch rugby, we didn't know anybody and actually ended up playing for the wrong team for the first 15 minutes before anybody <laughs> went, are you? So, you know, we, we kind of try to, again, like modeling for our kids, we want to show them that we're here, we've taken a big risk, we'll, we'll put ourselves out there. Um, yeah. I also, you know, reaching out, I've got a really good network. I have some fantastic mental um, mentors from Hong Kong and, and reaching out to those people and, and looking, like help, asking for help, always asking for help. Set yourself up, you know, don't, don't isolate yourself. And, and I think, my main strategy is um, and it's something that, again, through the well-being, is saying, hey, I'm, I'm really struggling with this, so I'm going to need some time or please help me. And I think being brave and asking for help when, you know, people say, oh, you know, you were picked out of however many hundreds of, of CDs, you start to panic. You, you're like, oh, but, oh, my God, it's that imposter syndrome, right? It's, how do you get over imposter syndrome? Yeah. And the way you do that, for me, is just saying, yeah, help, please help me. <laughs> and that seems to be, be working quite well um, at the moment. Yeah. It, it seems to be a common theme across a lot of people that we've interviewed, this imposter syndrome. And I, I, I certainly suffer from it. I just wrote about it on, my, on, on our latest blog. Um, yeah. it's, it, it can paralyze you. And you've just talked there about how you turn up and crack on, that you have, men, that you have mentors, that you ask for help. Um, what advice could you give to your younger self in your Hong Kong days? Um, just do it. I think I've felt all this time that 
I'm not quite good enough. Like, well, I'm not the specialist. I'm not the expert. Like, I'm just, I'm just a teacher and I'm just doing it every day. And I, I wish I'd just said, I, I am going to do a workshop. And I, if people don't like it, that's fine because I will have just practiced doing a workshop. Um, I've always done well from being really honest and like every interview I've gone into, I've gone, well, maybe I don't know that bit, but I'm a quick learner and I, I will put myself out there and I'll ask for help if I need it. I, I just wish I'd applied that to uh, the challenges. So now, for example, I'm not being given a choice. They're like, oh, um, you're going to be running a workshop on this. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I'm just doing it. I wish I'd just done it more. Um, yeah. You know, just just do it like and like you guys are doing it you're just getting out and, and starting something you could have sat around in the pub and had these conversations for years but actually saying no we're going to be intentional and put this out there because we're passionate about it I would have liked for myself to have pushed a bit more to take you know lean in more and take more risks we yeah. uh, we did have those conversations for years before we did anything about it <laughs> you know but the conversation, the, the point you said there, I think that's a really, really interesting phrase that I'm just a teacher, you know, and, and, and you can look at that as that, I'm just a teacher. You can also look at it in such a powerful way, which it seems like you are doing now. And that advice of giving that advice, that suggestion of giving that advice to your younger self seems a really sensible one, that you're not just a teacher, you are a teacher and the possibilities that you've got are enormous. And and, and he, would, you, would, you, would it be fair to say that you're starting to see that potential now and you see the possibilities that you've got as a teacher yeah. that maybe you didn't see before? Mm, definitely. I think um, I've been really lucky. Um, I did a lot of um, sort of a, a style of life coaching. I did some cognitive coaching training and I've also spent some time, you know, with people who ask those kind of really good mediative questions. And I'm beginning now to have the capacity to see that, like, I've always thought like, well, what will I do when I finish teaching? You know, I, I don't know. They're like, well, would you consult? Well, I don't know, what would anyone, what would I have to offer? And certainly now I can start to see these little flags going up going, oh yeah, I could do this or I can offer this. And I, and I think building that comp competence and confidence um, is, is, is beginning to happen for me. I also, I feel very in, empowered by this move. Um, and I think that surrounding myself with other risk takers um, is, has been amazing because we're all risk taking right now. We're all really right on the precipice. You know, you talk about zones of proximal development, half my day, I'm right out there going, oh. um, I think it's, it's really good. And I, I feel much more strength in um, certain of that. And I love that you can see how much impact you can have on families. And I, I think that's something that young teachers need to know. It's don't worry about your lessons so much. Don't worry about the, did it go to plan? Did you connect? And, and do you know the children? And if you know the children and you know the families, then you've done a really, really good thing. The connection, yeah. the connection yeah. sorry, the, go on. The connection no, part of um, has, has been something that has been, uh, has been picked up on in a, a few of our episodes, Alan, isn't it? In terms of that's the key thing and that's the core thing at the heart of everybody as a teacher and, and what they're doing and why they're trying to do it and, and, and you know you just echoed that there to tell us a bit more about the comfort zone thing to tell me tell me how that feels when you're way out of your comfort zone tell me the bits that you've liked about it and the bits that you haven't and the things that you you've enjoyed and, and maybe those that you've really found difficult for example I've, I've been teaching um 
Readers and Writers Workshop, which is an American model um, by a couple of amazing um, people out of this, you know, and, and I think I feel really confident teaching that. And I was really uh, very structured. I had a really great program in Hong Kong that I'd kind of co-written with people. And it, and it was going really, what has happened here is that I've been asked to uh, share that model and teach that model. And it's been really hard because I'm looking at really, really experienced educators who've been teaching literacy for a really long time. And they're saying, they're vulnerable. They're saying, okay, I've got to learn this new thing, you know. And I've had to stretch myself to be confident enough to, to teach them, to teach adults, and um, to think about the ways that I can connect and, and model and workshop for people in a way that's not patronizing, that's not saying, I'm this way is better, this model, you should do this model. And that's, that's been really challenging for me and kind of structuring that through um, support of my colleagues, running things through people um, has really, really helped me. And I think the other part to, that, that helps is I'm also really vulnerable in other, in other areas which are new to me here, you know, the Tereya Māori, the cultural stuff we're learning about the, um, the Māori and the indigenous culture. It's really complicated. And so I think by showing vulnerability, you can really gain people's trust and let them know that, okay, so now when I'm out of my comfort zone, and you trust me, I trust you, we're good. We can, we can play, we can take risks. If people don't have a, 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 a really strong, trusting working environment, then that, that's never going to happen. We're, not, we're going to just carry on. And so we've spent a lot of time as a team looking at our culture as, uh, as colleagues. And we've had some like, ridiculous conversations. I can't even tell you, I've had conversations with a team of teachers that I would never have even imagined possible in my previous life. And yet I was really felt I was in a really structured and happy working environment. So yeah, I think being vulnerable and um, looking at ways to nudge yourself forward rather than taking big leaps has helped is what I'm trying anyway. Yeah, and it sounds like a wonderful environment for you to push yourself in when, when you're going through those difficult times with other people, but you've got the opportunity to feel trusted and be trusted and display mm. that vulnerability as you've talked about. You know, I, I think that's really cool. It sounds like a wonderful, uh, a wonderful situation and, and a great team to work in. Um, we, we're going to start to, to wind it down a little bit now, Gemma, um, yep. with our prior questions. I'll, I'll let Alan choose one to start with. Go on, Al. Yeah, what, what book are you reading at the moment, Gemma? I'm reading Born a Crime, Trevor Noah. I've oh, wanted to read it for a long time, and I haven't, yeah. I'm only on chapter three, but um, I, I love him. And um, I think with all the current um, racial stuff that's happening, you know, with what's happening in Hong Kong, what's happening globally, I, I just feel it's so pertinent and it just, it's an absolutely outstanding book. No book for me really captures what a sense of belonging is and how important it is more than that. And once you've read it, I'd suggest you listen to the audio book as well. He does all the accents and it's You're just the third incredible. person today to tell me to listen to it on audio. <laughs> yeah, it's outstanding. Yeah. It's, a, it's a really, really good read and listen. Good. Yeah, I heard he's very funny. He's a very funny guy. Uh, next one, Gemma, then. Um, Three non-negotiables you have as a leader. Um, be honest. 
like I can't deal with um, having to negotiate around people. Be honest with me. Yeah. Um, I love, I did a lot of work around Jenny Abrahams having hard conversations. I hate them. And I've worked really, really hard to cry through conversations and say, oh, we're going to keep going. Um, so I think being honest and, and uh, seek, um, yeah, being honest, seeking feedback is really, really important. Honestly, go forward, seek feedback and be willing to listen and, and take that feedback. So non-negotiable for me is really uh, be honest with me and tell me what you need from me so that I can perform better. Um, I think uh, work hard, play hard. I'm a real work to live person. I, I don't believe in giving, it, giving over yourself fully. I, I see educators all the time. They just, they, they get to a point where there's almost nothing else in their lives and that's certainly not us. Um, I really want to um, be the best educator that I can and then really, really enjoy my holidays. Yeah. And then third one, what, uh, third one. Work as a team, collaboration. Like I'm, I, I think presume positive intent, you know, putting ideas on the table, all these, I've worked a lot with those seven norms of collaboration and that and they work, they're brilliant. Yeah. And if you genuinely want construction and you really want true collaboration, the first and foremost thing is presume positive intent. Presume every day that everyone has turned up to be a good teacher and to be a good kid and to be a good parent. None of us go into parenting going, yeah, I'll just, I'll just be a bit crap at this, you know, it's fine. <laughs> we all want the best for our kids. And we, we all make mistakes. And I think as, as teachers, as parents and as students, you've got to presume that they got up in the morning trying to do the best they can. So presume positive intent. Nice, last one, Gemma. Three leaders, um, past or present, that you'd go out for a, a meal with? Um, think fast. Jane Goodall, I've, I've met her, but I haven't had an opportunity to, to talk to her very much. I'd love to have conversations with her and her journey as a woman and as an educator um, and as an environmentalist. Um, Helen Keller, again, like a pioneer in education and, and such an incredible human being. If I'd had an opportunity to somehow communicate with her, it'd be cool. Um, and then just Obama, I would, I just, I still love him. I mean, Jacinda's pretty cool, but um Obama would probably be my dinner guest if I had to choose between the two super Gemma thank you very much for coming on I thoroughly enjoyed that you're yeah. very welcome Gemma. it's lovely to cheers Gemma um search infinite leaders live on on YouTube IGTV and now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and uh, please share our episodes far and wide with anybody who you think will find them interesting. There's so much information packed into them and we're so grateful for the wonderful guests that we have on. And please remember to visit us at theinfinitelearners.com. You'll find articles, webinars and our weekly journal notes that Alan alluded to earlier. So that's it from us. Thanks very much, guys, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Gemma.